This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Boom Rookies presented by ESPN. I am Matt Bungard and with me today, Nick Campton. Hello. We're back at it again. Grand final week is continuing on like some sort of non-giving up grand final guy. Yeah, and we've gone from uh, podcasting on Tuesday evening into Wednesday morning. Where's the RPA? Where's my welfare being being checked? Look, this is outrageous. We're, we're on a back-to-back here, but this is what we do for the listeners in grand final week. We dig you will, deep. You will get into the podcast minds and you will shovel until your back gives out, son. That's exactly right. We did dig coal together. <laughs> okay, so normally we would be doing our question time. That's our Patreon exclusive episode every week, patreon.com forward slash over rookies. But what we like to do is give you... Give everyone who listens a question time at the start of the year just to see what see what they see what they're missing out on, and but we do another one because it's grand final week, so they give give you the start and the end, and but the creamy middle you got to pay for. The first one is to whet the appetite. Mm-hmm. The last one is uh, to function as you know a bit of an aperitif after the meal. But before you join us in the parlor for the questions, uh, we are also going to do our team of the year, Nicholas, with the Dalians being tonight. It thought felt like an appropriate time to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I um I know a lot of people are very cynical about the Dalliums, and I'm also very cynical about the Dalliums. But the only reason I am is because I I want them to be better. It's it's a it's a it's an award that I think has a lot of untapped potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know the comparison is always drawn between the Dallium and the Brownlow, but it is something that the AFL really does a whole lot better than the NRL. Um, and I have no doubt that on tomorrow's show, I will come on here and make several snide remarks about bad Dallium selections because in the end, isn't that what Dallium season is all about? That is exactly what it's all about. Um, and yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. Uh, who do you think is going to win, by the way? I think I think Sean Johnson's got it wrapped up. I think Payne Ars is going to win, but we'll see. So he's got that suspension though, so he'll lose. I lose three that. Yes. Okay. Um, and while I th- like, he'd be a, he'd be a, a, a worthy winner. Like if mm. I was going, the one, two, three guys who I think would win, Haas would be second. Um, but he's got that suspension, and I also think after that sort of first half of the year where he was playing the best football of his career, he sort of settled back down to something closer to his regular football, which is still more than just about anybody else in the league mm. has got. But I think because he kind of went to that, went back to that level, um, he'll sort of be a bit of a victim of the well, Payne Haas runs for 180 meters every week, so it stops being special. I'll t- type stuff, you know. I'll tell you, I think is an outside chance as well. Who? Kalen Ponga, because possibly, they won so possibly, many but- games down the stretch. And again, you can make up ground so quickly because it's six points a game now, not not three. And so he probably went close to scooping the votes in like almost all of those big nights wins down the stretch. And if not scooping the votes, getting points in every single game in that winning streak. Definitely. He's definitely in with a shot. Um, But I just, I, I think he missed a lot of footy to start the year mm. and he just didn't really get going. What on was he on in the, he's, did he ha- how many did he have when it went behind closed doors? Not, I'm, not many I'm, at all, right? Oh, he sure, had, but... he had, he only had six. But so Sean he... Johnson, Sean Johnson's kind of got the, um, Sean Johnson's kind of got a lot of the mm. classic hallmarks of a Dallium winner. You know, he's on an out-of-town team and he's the biggest star on it, so it's easier for him yeah. to get. So to I, get I, votes, I, I pulled like, up when it went behind 
closed doors and the top 10. So SJ was te- uh, equal uh, equal seventh along with Ben Hunt, who's not going to get it. Cody Walker, who's not going to get it. Dylan Edwards, a chance. I don't uh, think so. A chance. I'm not, I don't think he will, but he's, he, you know, he, he, he played a bunch of games and in, in a very good team that won all the time. Latrell Mitchell was sixth, no chance. Reese Walsh was fifth, suspended. Nico Hines, fourth, doubtful. Harry Grant was third, doubtful. Nathan Cleary missed too many games down the stretch. And then Payne Haas was the leader when it went behind closed doors. But so Honga was 16 points behind SJ when it went behind closed doors. So that's that's a lot of ground to make up. But I reckon those three men that we've mentioned, Johnson, Haas and Honga are the three that have a chance. I would I would agree. So, but to segue into our teams of the year, if I was picking my my MVP this season, I'm picking the guy who is also my fullback of the year, Reese Walsh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He he's my fullback as well. Um, thought like you know you could get cute with it and pick Honga, but why would you? Like Reese Walsh was just dynamite to watch all year. Uh, best player in the game for me. Um, won't win the Daly M of course because of the suspension, but. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely transformative to the Broncos. Um, the, the the difference that he has made to that team has been unbelievable. He's really been the only major change in terms of personnel that they've had this year. And they basically look like an entirely new footy team. And yeah. Yeah. From the second he came into that team from that very, from that very first game um, in that he played in round two against the Cowboys, he's just been absolutely electrifying. Um, mm-hmm. And I know this is probably not the best way to sort of judge your MVP on the season, but I, I think it, I think it does say something about the first thing that jumps to mind when you look back at a year. And to me, 2023 is always the first thing I'm going to think of always is Reese Walsh coming to Brisbane and transforming the Broncos back into the, mm. into the, into the Broncos of old, you know, and, we can run. Th- we can run through all his stats. They're all very impressive. You know, I think he's going close to breaking the record for line break assists in a season. He's scoring heaps of tries. He's making heaps of busts. But you don't need stats to, yeah. to tell you second, how good second most line Reece- break assists all time in a season. Yeah, you don't. You don't need stats to to tell you how good Reese Walsh is. You just need to watch him every single week. His first- I know he got suspended and all of that, but that to me shouldn't preclude someone from. From winning the, winning winning the big medal. If, I agree if, with that. If, if they get if, enough points, if they anyway. deserve it, you know. And I think Reese Walsh absolutely deserves it. I think we'll have we've said plenty about him this week already. We'll have more to say in the coming days, so we'll probably save it for then. But Reese Walsh would be my slam dunk Dallium. No, no worries about absolutely. it. Absolutely, one hundred percent agree. So let's run through our team of the year, starting at fullback. We both picked Walsh. I assume you. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, wingers. We'll take them one at a time. Uh, I, I haven't worried about sides for wingers and centers and back. No, I stuff. don't worry. For teams of the year, I don't worry about that. Okay, good, either. good. All right. But I've picked, uh, so I have picked two right wingers, starting with Dallin Wateni Zelezniak. And on the other side, Dom Young. Yeah, so I've got Dom Young as well. Um, of, of course, like, you know, there was the, the, the great finish to the season that he had where he's scoring all these wonderful tries on the back of this really sick Newcastle back line. But the reason that I the reason that I sort of had him penciled in for so long is he, he had a, t- a tough sort of couple of weeks to open the season. He got dropped got as dropped. well, which yeah, I think a lot forget. of people have yeah. forgotten. But then he came back for that game against Manly in Mudgee the draw, and he scored four and he was tries. Amazing. And that was kind of the thing that kick-started him. And even as Newcastle kind of blundered through that first half of the year, Dom Young never stopped scoring tries. And most of them were really sick. And then the rest of their nights got their act together and Dom Young went, like absolutely supernova. I you know, 
I'm once again asking the NRL to step in <laughs> and stop him from going to the roost. Mate, I'm 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 going over their heads. I'm going to the UN. I'm going to the yep. White House. We gotta do I'm, something. I'm 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 I might go I might go back to mass and start praying for it. Like get, we, get we Ray- can't we, we can't allow this to happen. We get Raylan Givens Don on the case. The get him to get get him involved. He'll sort him out because we, we gotta do something. You know how Souths have been looking for a right winger for literally oh, five years now? Fuck off. Yes. Like, how often are you going to think about what it would be like if Dom Young was there? Well, right especially because there was like credible rumors that like Sam Burgess was courting him on behalf of the club. And then it just didn't happen. It's not great, is it? It's not what you want. But yeah, Dom Young, uh, a, a superb a, a superb season, not just a superb yeah. half season for the Knights. I, I think I think he's an absolute walk-up start, just an outstanding, yeah. outstanding footballer. We differ on the other winger, though. So you've gone Dallin Wateni-Zelezniak. Yeah. I've gone Jermaine Asako. Do you want to make the Wateni-Zelezniak case? Uh, look at his hair for a start. A compelling point. Thank you. But no, I do, like, this I is do a... love his hair. I think it makes him look like a his hair is great. middleweight like, boxer so, as, as who Asaka... fought on Shane Cameron undercards <laughs> in, the mid- in the mid-90s. Like, like as, great uh, stuff. Asaka was on my shortlist. That's a great story as well. Um, Marju, the other Knights winger, shortlist as well. Like so, and Taruva, who we'll, we might talk about later in a different section, was also shortlisted. Toto missed a couple of games, but again had a great season. But to me, with Tenny Zelazniak, apart from Johnson and and those and those two big boppers in the middle of the forward pack, he was the guy that was sort of most emblematic of everything that the Warriors stood for in this run. He was one of the guys that was capturing the hearts and minds of of that team. And that fan base throughout this run to the prelim final, he was a guy that for so much of his career was so highly rated uh, and never really settled into a position at a club that fitted him, never really found a situation that worked for him. He's been on that wing this year, just scoring incredible try after incredible try. And has just been so important to a team that is so right side dominant in attack. And without him, there's games they don't win. And they probably don't end up where they were, where they up finished up in this season. And yeah, you, 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 I'm sure you can make a case for Osaka as well. He had a great season as well. I just, I, th- I it, was, it was a close run thing, but I went with DWZ purely because this is a guy that I think for so long been waiting for him to break out and show us who he is. And I think this year he finally did. Yeah, I, I don't have a problem with you picking uh, with Bernie Lesniak. It was actually it's actually a really really hot field for wingers. Mm. Like you can make a very credible case for Greg Marju and Ronaldo Mulatalo and Michaeli Ravalawa, even Alofiana Khan Pereira. Um, I think I think Brian Toto has kind of got to that point that I mentioned with Haas a little bit earlier, where if it was any other winger doing what Brian Toto does, they would be a walk up start. But because it's Toto, it's just not as special as it was. Um, and I really did consider putting To'o in ahead of Asako. But in the end, Asako got the nod, partly because I'm just so sort of enchanted by that comeback story. But mm. also, Dallin Matenis, Lesniak and Domya and Maju and To'o and Cobo, they're all scoring tries on, on really good teams. Like the Dolphins, like they had that great start. But after that, mm. tries could be a little bit hard to come by. You know, and Asako just kept scoring them, kept scoring them, kept scoring them. And a lot of them were quite spectacular efforts. Um, and then you throw in the, the I think, the inc- extremely impressive feat of finishing top try scorer and top point scorer. You know, that hasn't happened in th- in 33 years. And I think that's a real feather in Asako's cap. And uh, just considering how far he came back from, how much he improved and how much he sort of got back to, to the sort of football that he showed in those early days at the Broncos when it looked like it was gone. That's just, that's a, that's that sort of arc over a season is something that really, really appeals to me and, and really speaks to me. So 
I'm going Osaka, but like we said, this is a this was this is a really hot field. I would say this is probably the deepest, the deepest position. Um maybe along with Lock Ford as well, but a lot of wingers had a lot of really good years, but Osako's my man. Yep, totally fair. All right, so well, who have you got in the centers? So I actually found center really, really tough. Me too. Because I feel like there's a lot of guys who had like a good, good half patches. season. Yes. You know, like Campbell Graham over the first half of the season was the best center in the league by miles and miles and miles. Mm-hmm. But then the second half of the year, things really got away from him, you know? And then Bradman Best is almost the complete opposite. Like first half of the year was was solid enough, but probably not uh, probably not totally representative of his abilities. And then second half of the year, shit just started going absolutely crazy, you know? And then there are blokes like Katoni Staggs and Stephen Crichton, who I think had really consistent years, but maybe didn't have the heights of of, of some other blokes. Um, I do think it's, it's interesting that Katoni Staggs had such a consistent year, but no one seems to want to talk about it, you know? Yeah. When he had like a good month last year and got into origin because of it, no one could shut up about it. But anyway, to that end, my two guys are Herbie Farnworth and Matt Tomoko. I think okay. I think they had the best mix of consistent footy and then really high attacking highs as well. You know, Herbie Farnworth is first for run meters among centers, second for tackle busts among centers. So he's getting a great mix of work rate and strike. He probably had a couple of down weeks at 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 one point, kind of in the back half of the year. But I think he really, really got it back. He had a, a really superb year for Brisbane on that left side. And I think in a Canberra team that I cannot stress enough is totally fucking insane. Matt Tomoko is, was kind of like the only thing that was steady and consistent about it. He's second for run meters among centers. He's third for tackle busts among centers. He was equal first in meters per run for centers. And I think he also found that really great mix that Farnworth found, that mix of really strong work rate, but also great attacking football. You know, so people might call me biased for putting a Raider in, but I don't give a shit. Matt Tomoko, to me, was one of the two best centers in the league yeah. this year. You, you've embarrassed yourself with your biases there. On a completely unrelated note, I've picked Campbell Graham and I've picked Katoni Staggs. So Graham, despite the last few weeks of the season, and we do fall into this trap. This isn't like, not not you, but like we, the Royal we. We fall mate, into this we, trap. Mate, of... I, I, I can fall into that trap too. Like yeah. the last thing we saw is the thing we remember Exactly. The most. So Graham, despite the last six or seven weeks of the season not being his best, still scored more tries than any other center and still had more line breaks than any other center. Um, whilst in the first half of the year being a really good defensive center and in the second half, not so much. But overall, on the balance of things, I think he still put together a more impressive season than anybody else. And then again, I basically just took a clone between Farmworth and Stags and ended up writing Stags' name down. But again, that's a guy who I think really worked on, 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 his, on his football without the ball this year. He was very, very, very good defensively. I think that... Probably by the end of the year, he was better at that stuff than Graham was, which is crazy to say, given how you know, we, we've joked for ages about how we, we call Campbell Graham tall bowman and that he'd never really been an attacking presence. But really, Graham's work with the ball was better than his work without the ball this year. And Staggs, I think, was was more well-rounded, if not a better defender. So they're the two guys I went with, but I had the two guys you went with on a short list as well. Um, yeah, a, and, and yeah. Like, I, of course, had Graham and Staggs there as well. And I think, I think Graham and Staggs will probably end up getting it. Um, and like, that's, that's fine with me. I'm not pulling my hair out. Like I said, I thought mm. center was a pretty, a pretty crowded field. Yeah. Um, who is your five eighth? Because my five eighth is Ezra Mann. So I, this was another one that I really chewed over for a while. Um, 
And there are an, another couple of guys who I think had big starts or big finishes, but who couldn't really maintain it. And in the end, it came down to a battle for me between Ezra Mam and Tom Dearden. Mm. Um, and I think Dearden improved his play tremendously this year. I think he had a better year this year than he did last year when the Cowboys made the top four. I thought his passing got a lot better. I thought his kicking got a lot better. I think he showed that he's really going to be able to step up and be the Cowboys' number one playmaker whenever they decide to move on Chad Townsend. But I'm, I've gone I've gone with Ezra, man. Yeah. I've gone with Ezra, man. And um, I, I think it's it's because Brisbane has so many stars, I think Mam has actually snuck under the radar a little bit. You know, he's got 15 tries this year. That's a lot of tries. For a half, that's a that's a whole lot of tries, you know? Yeah. And I think he's just found a really great balance in in playing alongside Adam Reynolds and combining with Reese Walsh. I think he's just really like the role that he's playing in that team right now is just absolutely perfect for his skill set, you know, and he's you know, I love it, love his speed, love his footwork. Um, I love the tenacity that he plays with in defense. I think that's something that he's really, really improved on this year. Um, and after such a strong rookie campaign. You know, a lot of guys can go into their shell and sort of have a bit of a second year syndrome, but not Ezra. Not Ezra. He's gotten I think he's he was a good footballer in his rookie year. I think he's a much better one now. I still think we're only just scratching the surface. But yeah, a, a, a terrific season for the big fella. Yeah. Tremendous. Uh, how how are you how much have you talked yourself into Canberra getting him? Oh, I'd love it. I would love it if they did. Um I don't think they will because I think it's just hard to get a Brisbane boy out of Brisbane. You know, um, but I do like, I like the ambition from Canberra. Definitely. Definitely. Like it's yeah. a, it's a big swing, but you know, sometimes a big swing is, is worth making. I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to have him, but I don't think I'll get him. Yep. Totally fair. Uh, halfback. So given you think he's going to win the Dally M, I think I know who you're going to pick and I've picked the same guy in Sean Johnson. Yeah. Well, what, 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 what more can you say? You know, a long, of course, a long time favorite of mine and yours and everybody who has a, a beating heart and red blood in their veins. Um, but you, it's important to remember that for long periods of last year, there was a lot of, lot of like loud, angry talk that Sean Johnson should retire and that it was over. And, and that this, this brilliant um, incisive playmaker that we've come to know over the last 12 years or so that, you know, his time was over and it was time to, you know, send him off to the glue factories. But to come back the way he did is, is just, I think it's a measure and a credit. It's a measure of his, of his ability as a player of his mental strength as a player. And I think it shows something that I've always thought was there with Sean Johnson. There's the players with a lot more ticker than, than people think. Um, and I, I think the way that he led this Warriors team through the season, the way he's sort of really at the heart of their revival, the way that he adapted to, to, to getting older as well. Like he's not the crackerjack runner that he probably was in his youth. But he doesn't have to be because he knows how to get the team around the park. He knows how to execute. He knows how to execute the game plan that his coach puts in front of him. And every now and then, he knows how to go for the Jets when he really, really has to. You know, mm. to me, he's playing like a halfback who's got total command of what he can do, total mastery of his own of his own skill set. You know, and I, I he's he wouldn't be my MVP, but I, it's a measure I think of the great year that he's had and how much of a fan I am of his. That if he wins the Daly M ahead of Walsh and another guy we'll talk about a little bit later, yeah. I won't mind. I won't care. No, you know, of course I, not. I, I, I love that after all this time, Sean Johnson is finally getting the raps that he should have got a long, long time ago, man. He's one of the he's one of the top playmakers of the last 10 or 15 years. And it's I'm just really stoked that 
after all this time, he's finally getting the raps. The Shawnaissance has been very enjoyable indeed. Uh, Frops, I went with Payne Haas and Adam Fenorblake. I went with Adam Fenorblake and Payne Haas. There you go. Well, I mean, <laughs> what is there to say apart from anyone who got a bit too carried away and said that Fenorblake was better than Haas? was firmly put back in their box. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Like, we've talked a lot about Fanua Blake this year. Really, really maximizing his potential, I think. Um, Scoring all those tries, just doing really, really well for a Warriors team that really needed that forward leader. And Haas is just on a path to, like, true all-time greatness, you know? And I was so impressed with him in the first half of the year when – when he was already the best forward in the world, that he got even better by, you know, running a couple of passes wide and have, a- adding sort of a greater attacking element to his game. I think he's done that with his passing and his offloading as well. Um, I, I, he's another one. Him and Walsh are the t- are my t- would be my two picks for the for the Dalian. Either one of them winning is, is it would be fine with me. Um, and yeah, there's just we're running out of ways to describe him. We're running out of ways to talk about him, you know, and we're all getting so used to him running for 180 metres a game, that we're forgetting how special it is that there is a guy that can do this. Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. And I hope that we don't get to a point where we're just expecting this from him and it becomes I think boring. I think we're there. I think we're, it's well, happened, bro. We, yeah, but it doesn't matter. I, like, What a player. What a player is. Still so young, still got so much footy in front of him. And yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a real chance he finishes up being the best prop we've ever seen. Real big chance. Uh, Hooker, this was a tough one. I think Harry Grant had an okay season, but like not, I, I, not, I don't think he was as fantastic as other people carried on a bit. Wade Egan had a great year, but I've gone with a guy who played in a very bad team but was very good every week in Athi Corusau. You want to you want to expand on that? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's it's, and it, this isn't just like a participation award for going there and not phoning it in, as so many people do when they get a big contract from a from a lesser team. But this was a guy who was probably the best hooker in the game last year at Penrith, went to the Tigers, was one of their big off-season signings, and we saw what happened on the field. It didn't go great for the Tigers, but one thing that was constant every week was how good Appy Coruscant was playing. He was busting a gut every single week, trying every trick in the book, trying every everything he had to get them wins, to get them points, to, to get them over the line. And that level of play was sustained all year. I don't remember him having many bad games at all. And... It's really hard to do that in a good team, but it's almost impossible to do that in a shit team full of people around you who are giving up and not putting in and all that stuff. But despite the situation he was in, I think that his play in a vacuum was still better than any other hookers this year. Oh, 100% agree. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 so I, I did a draft of this team last week and I had Harry Grant in there, but the more I kept thinking about it, and this was even before the Storm Panthers prelim, the mm-hmm. more I kept thinking about it, the more I thought, well, Grant's got the numbers, but I do think he's probably not matched his his level of play from the past. And when I was just looking at the names, like of course, Wade Egan stood out, but the more I thought about it, the more Coruscant stood out to me mm-hmm. um, for all the reasons that you said, you know, and People might people might laugh at having a, a a player from a wooden spoon team in a Dally M team of the year, but I think for the way that Coruscant plays, it's really really hard to shine on a on a bad team, you yeah. know, because so much of what he does is really subtle. You know, it's committing markers, it's shifting his weight from from foot to foot, it's creating really really little advantages for the rest of his teammates. It's not like he's a 
a, a, a Damian Cook style hooker where when he's playing well, it's really, really easy to see because he's running mm. for 30 meters every time he picks it up or whatever, you know? So the fact that I think that you could recognize that Coruscant still had a really great year, despite how bad West's were, I think that that really says a lot about him. And I, I think I said it the other week that he's actually gone up in my estimations as, as, a, as a player and probably as a man this year, because it is so easy to go to the Tigers and take the money and not try as hard. And it is kind of yeah. easy to over the last six weeks of the season when they're absolutely terrible to kind of just go through the motions, but, but he never did, but he never did. So, you know, this year while his team was terrible, I think is a really big feather in his cap. So yeah. Happy Coruscant was also my hooker of the year. Back rowers. Um, I've gone with Liam Martin and David Fafita. So I've gone to, I've got Dave Fafita. Definitely. And like we've talked about this a few times this year, but he became the player that everyone always wanted him to be. And just no one seemed to give a shit about it. Yep. You know, like he's first for back rowers in run meters. He's first for tackle bus. He's third for offloads. Here's a stat I dug up today. What I always like to do every season is look at the try assist numbers for every player in the league. Right. And I like to find the player who had the most try assists, but doesn't play in the spine. Hmm. That's a that's a holdover from my telegraph days when I, I I I'd do a yarn on it and it'd be I'd called it the the Brad Takarangi medal because he won it he won it the first year I did it because he was just dishing a Rad Radger all the time. Yeah. So the two blokes this year that are sharing the Brad Takarangi medal for most tries by a non-spine player are Stephen Crichton, obviously a center that does a fair bit of dishing, but Dave Fafita is the other one. You know, mm. and if you're a back rower, you don't get the cheap throw to the winger try assist that a center does. You know, so. Fafita this year has matched his work rate with a great attacking impact. And again, we all just we're all just like, yeah, whatever, dude. You know? No one no one seems to no one seems to want to give him the raps. The other spot I found difficult to fill. Liam Martin was on my short list, but there was another guy too. So why don't you make the Liam Martin case for me? Again, he's a guy who, if anything, was a little bit overrated going into 2023. He was a guy that a lot of people dismissed as just being another good player on this very, very good Penrith team who, if you took him out and put him on the Tigers or the Bulldogs or someone, he would he would regress to the mean or he wouldn't stand out. But this year has been a completely different story. I think he's been one of their best players. I think he's been one of the best players in the final series. He's one of the best players in the regular season. He had a great origin as well. This is a guy who really did come on this year. I think he's he's running better. He's moving better. He's He's got somehow even better at line running. His defense has been very, very good. And... Yeah, I think this is his best season in first grade and in a year where, again, it was it was difficult to really come up with a great deal of amazing back rowers. Uh, but in a year where this guy has had his best season for the best team, I thought that he was a worthy uh, runner-up to David Fafita in this category. The, so the, the thing that gives me a little bit of pause about Martin is just he didn't play as much footy as some of the other guys. He only mm. played 15 games in the regular season and he only started 12 of them at second row. So I agree with you that he's had a really great season and I, I would say the best season of his career and all those things that you just said about him are a hundred percent true. It's just, I don't know, starting 12 games in the position. Yeah, that's fair. It's, uh, yeah. There's, there's just something about me that reflexively just pulls back. From hurry the, up and so, say Hudson Young. No, I got Brighton in the Cora. <laughs> oh, look at I got, you. I got, I got, I got Brighton in the Cora. Yeah. I, so he probably didn't, he hasn't had the heights that Martin's had, particularly over the last month of the regular season when I thought Martin was, 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 was really, really strong. Mm. But I think of all the other contenders, Nicola is the one who 
put in the most consistent season. Like Hudson Young had some real peaks and valleys. So did Halmole. Oh, he, he's another guy that if you did this at the halfway point of the year would have been in the team, but just didn't do much in the second half of the year. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going, I'm going Nikra. I think he's another guy who had his best uh, year in first grade. I thought mm. he's always been a real, a really strong line runner, you know, always really good at hitting holes. I think he, he led, he led all back rollers in line breaks this season, which is a fair rap considering Quite the good. caliber of attacking play we're talking about here. But I think his defense got a lot better, and that's something that kind of had to happen because his defense has been a bit of a weak point for him mm. in the past. But he he really really picked it up, and you know Cronulla had a for a bit all bit all over the track this season. But I thought Nick he was, was a form, constant performer, never 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 wavered. It's weird so, he went from being probably not the best back row on that team to now being in the Nick Campton team of the year. What a story! I know what a what a what a moment for for Big Britain. Yeah, Locke was so hard. You think so? Well, just because there was three guys you can make, and Cam Murray not being one of them is also outrageous. But you can make a case for Toby Harris, and you can make a case for Isaiah. Yo. But I've gone with Mister Psychology, Patrick Carrick. I I think all three players that you named there had superb seasons, uh, but this one to me was not difficult at all. Pat Carrigan, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, uh, his best season by a mile. This is a guy who, a couple of years ago, was was more of a super coach player than an NRL player. Like it was a lot of empty calorie meters, a lot of empty calorie numbers. But in 2022, he really took his game up, up, up a massive notch. And then he's somehow gotten better in 2023. And it's no longer, it's no longer Cam Murray and Isaiah Yeo are the two best locks and everyone else is underneath them. It's now these three guys are the three best players at their position. And there's a case that he's the best of the lot. And that's insane. Given If you'd said this two years ago, that would have been an absolutely insane thing to project would happen in, in 2023, but here we are. He was brilliant this year. That Payne Haas is the, the best forward on that team, the best forward in the world, the best forward that we've maybe ever seen. All of that is true, but the pack doesn't go without Carrigan as well. He's so important to, the, to their shape and to their structure. And, and again, he's also the second guy in meters every every single game right after Haas. They're, they're, as much go forward as Haas gives him, he can't do it on his own. You can't just win with one good forward. You need at least two guys that are up there every single week getting 150, 200 plus metres. And Carrigan does that every week in addition to all the organisational stuff. This is a guy that's going to be, when Adam Reynolds goes, the captain of this Broncos team for years and years to come. Yep, yep, very very, very well said. I don't have that I don't have that much to add. Um, of, like Obviously, guys, I come on the show and every, every week and talk about how much I love Tohu Harris, but Carrigan had a, had a better year. I don't think that's a. I don't think that's really up for debate. You know, all that stuff you said about his yardage—that's all very, very true. I, I think he's uh, grown in sophistication as a passer in, in uh, tremendously over the last couple of years, and I think that's played a big part in Brisbane's attack being as good as it is at the minute. Like Carrigan knows how to get him where they got to go. You know, and. He's someone who, you know, there were always pretty big raps on him coming through and those first couple of years were tough, but it's always great to see a guy really fulfill his potential. He read a big in, book in this way. So. He read a big book called Pythagoras Theorem and now he knows how to throw the exact right pass on the angle. <laughs> My he guy loves triangles. He does. He really does. Um, so we've got a couple of other awards. Uh, we'll do rookie of the year first. How about that? Yeah, we will. So a strong, a strong rookie class. Um, Isaiah Katoa was probably the leader at the halfway point, but I think absolutely agree. The rigors of a long season maybe got to him a little bit. Um, really like Jacob Preston at the Bulldogs, uh, deserving winner of their Player of the Year. Alofiana Khan Pereira had a great year at the Titans. Not it wasn't it was twenty. It was a club record number of tries, and it wasn't just catching and falling like he scored some rippers. Sonia Taruva 
great at the Panthers. Um, great mix of attacking footy and really strong work rate, but I got to go Jareem Buller. Yep, you named my two through five there in your preamble and then my number one with the with your answer. Two words, Jareem Buller. Uh, we were again, early on Jareem Buller. We really were. We I mean, were, it was we, were there the day, we were there the day he debuted. Didn't we call the show Jareem something the day the week before he debuted? I think we did. You know what? Let's say we did. All right, good. I could check. I'm not going to. Um, yeah, we, we were there for his debut. He's just been thoroughly impressive again. Another Another guy that's worked his tail off in a bad team and a remarkable story. I mean, people know it by now that this guy wasn't playing footy like two years ago. And now the sky's the limit, I think, for him. He has a real chance to become one of the game's great stars. And fullback's not an easy position to get a gig in and stay in because there's so many so many good fullbacks and so many dudes who play wing or center or wherever else and want to play fullback on top of that. So for him to be holding down that number one spot from what round was it? Round six, something like that until the end of the season is extremely impressive. And he deserved it. He was probably their second best player after Happy Corusia, but he absolutely deserved it. Taruva was my runner up. He was just consistently very good all year, but again, it's difficult to choose a winger on the best team particularly on a team that's been a factory for wingers and outside backs for the last few years over a guy like Buller, who's been thrown in in a very bad situation and made the best of it. Katoa completely agree. Great first half of the year. Second half of the year, they, they, he missed a couple of those games um, and they, they the Dolphins formed as one off a cliff. Preston had a good year, but you know, just that's, that's as simple as that. He had a good year and um, Khan Pereira again, very exciting. Great with ball in hand defense, pretty bad. Um, and yeah, he was great to watch, but I think Buller had the best season of those five guys. So I'm happy to go with him. I really want to, that little bit where you said, you know, you can't really give it to a winger on a on a good team, a, a team that's been a factory for outside backs over the last couple of years. Mm. You got to give it to the guy that came into a key position at a battling club and did really well. Yep. I want to take that audio, mm-hmm. go back and play it for 2014, Matt Bungard, mm. for when, when, when you memorably got to... Uh, Quite hot yeah. and bothered about Luke Brooks beating Alex Johnson for the for the rookie of the year. If you use my words against me one more time, <laughs> and I don't come over there. But um, well, I guess this is growing up. It really is. It really is. Yeah, Jareem Bull. I hope he stays at the Tigers and doesn't get poached by the Roosters. <laughs> what? What's an? Well, he'll be Fiji. Is he already Fiji's fullback? I, I'm I'm actually I'm actually not sure of the teams he's eligible for. Okay, he moved over from New Zealand to, to uh, the Gold Coast right around the cutoff date for Origin. So I'm not 100% sure uh, who he can play for. What? Yeah. Okay. Why? He's Fijian, right? Heritage? No. Are you just saying that because his last name is Bula? Uh, no. I'm on his Wikipedia page. It says his father is of both Indigenous Australian and Fijian descent. So good. Well, it's on Wikipedia. Well, I mean, yeah, it's got a reference from uh, the West Tigers website. So... There you go. Impeccable sources. Yeah, well, you'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your source? Literally us, the Tigers. <laughs> but um, yeah, look, that'd be very fun if he played for Fiji and then the Roosters poached him. He had four international fullbacks. You can never have too many. What about what about what about many. what about coach of the year? Andrew Webster. Yeah, I've got Andrew Webster too. It was Andrew Webster, Ivan Cleary, or Kevin Walters. Um, and while I think all three of those guys have done great jobs, Kevin Wal I think going into the going into the year it was it was clear maybe not to idiots like me who tipped him to miss the finals mm. but to smart footy people it was clear that the broncos had a lot of ability they sort of had that great three quarters of last year so you know maybe not like it, it, people might not have expected them to progress this far but i think it was reasonable to prog- to expect them to progress a little bit at least 
but nobody thought the Warriors were going to do no. anything. This is a team that finished second last last year. I didn't see a single sort of, person pick them to finish in the top four. That's it. That's it. And with a pretty similar squad, they've gone all the way to the prelim. And I think Webster's been a huge, huge part of that. There are so many guys who've had career best years, so many guys who have really, really improved as well. Um, I think he's just done a wonderful job over there. So, yeah, Webb Lasso, he's my You always see people make this argument, like, oh, the coach of the issue, just go to the the coach said the best team. It's like, well, no, that's what the ladder's for. Like, what, you just give it to the minor (laughs) premiers every year? What a great idea. No, I mean, context matters. And the context here is, of course, that this this was a team that was very poor last year and a team that no one gave a chance to make the finals, much less the top four. And they did it. They did it and they looked pretty damn entertaining doing it. And on top of all that, he's revived Sean Johnson's career and we can't thank him enough for that. Andrew Webster, we salute you. Coach of the year is a funny one. You know, Trent Robinson's only once. Wow. Okay. I guess, again, it's like once you're good, that's it, right? Yeah, but then Bellamy's won it like five times. Oh, okay. Well, then I don't know. Yeah, it it can be a funny one. How many times has Anthony Seabold won it? Uh, just the once, I believe. Yeah, so Anthony Seabold, Trent Robinson, peers, some would say. I'm just asking questions. Yeah, just stating facts. Uh, comeback player of the year. Yeah, so I you can go with either of the two blokes in my team. Either you can go for Jermaine Asako or you can go for Sean Johnson. I'm probably gonna go Sean Johnson just because going from near like for people calling for your retirement to possibly winning the Dally M is just about as big a comeback. Yeah. As a as as a player can have, you know. Yeah. So SJ's my pick for that one. And I misunderstood the assignment and did most improved. So <laughs> <laughs> I went with Tyson Gamble. Uh I think just pipping uh Marcelo Montoya for this one. Uh this is a guy who arrived at the Knights with a mixture of either, you know, apathy or downright derision. For, like this was a guy that you know, a lot of people treated like a bit of a meme player at the Broncos. And he's come in and he's played very solid rugby league to start the season. And in the second half of the season, he was genuinely in the conversation as the form 5-8 for the year in a team that was absolutely red hot. Uh, and he told Willie Mason to get fucked, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that, that like Gamble and Montoya are both great choices. I think uh, Billy Walters and Jordan Rickey both have to be up there as well. Mm. But we've talked plenty about them over the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I would love it if they brought in most improved or comeback player to the to the Dally M's. Yeah. It'd be good stuff. Yeah. Remember when they brought in Interchange Player of the Year and it only lasted two seasons and they fucked it off and we pretended it never happened? Yeah. We didn't do one today for a good reason. That's right. It's like it's it's clearly someone who watched too much NBA and was like, well, we need a sixth man award. Who was your eighteenth who was your eighteenth man of the year? My eighteenth man of the year. Probably Zach Docker Clay. Thought he did yeah. a great job. Great great eighteenth man. Great eighteenth man. Um, and uh, moment of the year, headline moment of the year. Headline moment of the year. I'm going to go with the Dolphins winning their first game against the Roosters. Great I felt answer. like that was the, in terms of on-field action, that to me felt like the biggest sort of single story of the year. You mm. know, like you can go for season-long ones like Brisbane becoming one of the best teams in the league and Reese Walsh becoming one of the biggest stars. But in terms of like a single game, a single day, a single headline moment i think it's the dolphins winning that first game against the roosters that's something i'll remember probably for the rest of my life yeah uh i went the uh, i think that's a great answer and i went with a a moment that really set the internet on fire a little bit the debate raged for days and that was reese walsh getting sent off and then pointing to the badge and g'ing up the crowd in origin which i thought was awesome but a lot of people didn't like i thought it was awesome 
I thought it, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty incredible. And I think if everyone plays their cards right, that becomes an iconic, an iconic origin moment. Mm. For that was my instant thought. Come. My instant thought was, we're going to see this clip replayed a bunch of times. One hundred percent. At some point in the future, it'll tip over from, oh god, he's just carrying on, isn't he? To fuck yeah, that's origin. And mm-hmm. I just don't know when that's going to be, but it's already happened for me. It happened for me while it was happening. You know. Yeah, I loved it straight away. I think. Yeah, I think so. I saw someone clutching their pearls, and I think I I quote tweeted just said, "This ruled," and I got like a thousand <laughs> likes. They would just be like, "Yeah, you know what? It did rule. He's right." Nice. Um, so yeah, that was my moment of the year, and that was our awards. Are you serious? I'm gonna have any questions. Okay, so if you are a new listener, this is our weekly show that's usually hidden behind our Patreon paywall, but it's grand final week, so everyone's getting it, even you. But the questions must be limited to those who support us. So Nicholas, let's throw over to Patreon and give me something to answer. That's right. If you want to get amongst this you can sign up to our patreon you can ask questions on there you can ask questions in our discord and by god we will answer them starting as we always do over on our patreon shareholder 1327 how many of cam munster's five best games in the last three years would be in a storm jersey fuck see this is an interesting question i read it when i was getting ready for the show and it took me a while to think of, of of what his best games would be. There were none that sort of really jumped to mind immediately. Now, and like, we're not Storm fans, so we're probably not as across it as we could be. But I do think Cam Munster had a pretty down year this year. By I was shocked standards. to see him getting so much Dallium Team of the Year hype. Well, that leads me to my next point. I think because he's down in Melbourne and because we all just expect him to do so well, we kind of, like, I think a lot of people kind of just don't see it when he's when he's struggling you know it's it's very easy if you're struggling to pick a five eight to say oh we'll just pick we'll just pick cam munster as the best five eight of the year because he probably was even if he wasn't you know i came up with two games over the last uh three seasons so since the start of 21 where i really really felt like munster was at his absolute best and it was round six last year versus the sharks where they came down to amy park sort of got a bit of a lesson. Munster scored just an incredible try and was just sort of really in everything. And then there was a game just before Origin last year against Manly in round 12. But I had to really think about that and I had to go back and look at the games that he'd played and really have really consider them and all of that. So I think to answer shareholder 1327's question, I'm going like two, maybe three. There's probably a mm. third I'm forgetting somewhere. Um that game where he got named to start at fullback against the Titans and went hog wild and like scored a million million tries. Uh in was that late twenty twenty two? Yeah, it would have been, yeah. Yeah. There was that game. Um and then there was the game in twenty twenty one where they put fifty on Souths and he took the absolute piss out of us. But again, like you think Cam Munster at the moment, you think you think origin. You do. You and, and through through it's no fault of his but I think a lot of that good footy he played in 2021 has kind of just been lost to the COVID fever dream. Yep. I agree with you know, that. Like and then... it, a lot of that footy really, really runs together. Um, and that's not fair to him, but that's just how I think that's a lot of people life, remember baby. that time. That's life. Westlife podcast and the Pasco fiasco. In all honesty, if rugby league didn't exist, would the Wallabies be as dominant as the All Blacks? Um, well, so what? I mean, that would mean that every guy that is good at rugby league would be playing union instead or maybe something other sport like cricket or something but yes mostly rugby union you'd have to think they'd be right up there right 
I don't think so because the problem with Australian rugby isn't so much the the player. The, it's not the players. There's always talented players. Australia can't stop producing good players. It's the pathways of getting them to the top level mm. and a lot of the coaching that they get along the way. You know, that's yeah. the that that's the that's but the big issue. I, I would think that else. I think that the if the if the if union was more mainstream across um, high schools and across sort of broader society rather than being confined to like the private school elites in 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 Sydney's northern beach uh, northern suburbs and in pockets of Brisbane and stuff. I think if it was more widespread, those coaching pipelines would be a little bit different. Yeah, and you'd hope so. Yeah, so I like. That is definitely true in the world that we live in, but I don't know if that would be true if rugby union was the dominant sport across across Sydney and Brisbane. Mm. If you get me, there's a there's a there's a fair few rugby questions, so, oh. so we'll uh, we'll cross more bridges when we can't do them. Josh Brandon, on a scale of one to Reese Walsh sticking his tongue out, how insufferable will Mitch be if Brisbane win on Sunday? Um, to me personally, who's always believed in the Brisbane Broncos, not very. To Nick Campton, who will pay for his thought crimes, very. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's gonna be gonna be a big one for the editor at large, mm. and I think a lot of people are gonna cop a bit of revenge. Probably me, chief among them. But you know, when your team wins the grand final, you can do whatever you want. I'm pretty sure that's the law, right? Oh, you wouldn't know, so I'll say yes. Oh, you, can. Oh, you piece of shit! <laughs> <laughs> Shunt up. The Panthers are very beatable. Is there a small thermal exhaust port on this Bron- <laughs> Broncos Death Star? Uh, so new listeners, Shunter is a Penrith fan trying to play the underdog card and we're not having it. We're not having it. Get out of here, Shunter. I do. I do. Uh, Shunter aside, I do like that. We've got two fan bases who are very, very comfortable being the overdog. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the constant scrapping to have the no one believes in his shit. I actually find it really, really tiresome. It's awful. You know? So yeah, if you're the best man, strut around and tell people you're the best, you know, like pop the shoulders a little bit, bro. Why not? Why not? Sam Stevens, one of the great question askers, Sam. Hmm. Over the years, there have been a number of times where a perfect NRL grand final matchup never came to fruition, whether it be from injuries or hmm. big upsets, they just never occurred. What are your top five epic NRL grand finals that never happened? Yeah, okay. So I know we got it two years later, but we didn't get the Bulldogs-Roosters grand final in 2002 because the dogs were kicked out for cheating. And that that game would have been... Because, you know, that, that game would have been, to me, absolutely incredible. I think the Bullers were a better team in 2 than they were in 4 And I think the Roosters were a better team in 2 than they were in 4 when those two teams met in that grand final a couple of years afterwards. Uh, my other one would be... So deca- just, just just quickly on that Dogs-Roosters one, because I've got that on my list as oh, well. Oh, cool. Okay. Do you think that it could have had the same heat in 2 if, if, if the Bulldogs hadn't lost all the points so like for like so the roosters bulldogs rivalry to me only kicks off after o2 yeah i agree with that the, because the bulldogs had the points taken away and the roosters went on to win the grand final mm. so there was always that tension of well we would have won if we were there well you weren't there dickhead were you you know what i mean so yeah that's a good point if we got it in o2 i don't know if it would have had the same heat as 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 it, as it maybe could have mm. you know but again, it, it's it's on it's on my short list as well because I feel like that's one of the that's the the great rivalry that no one talks about for guys like our age. It's it's really really big. It was massive. Like that was kind of like the Knights Manly, yeah, in the nineties. 
we yeah. had bulldogs roosters in the in the 2000s but uh we, we yeah, i don't know interesting to think about we probably have a couple more so do you that are the same so do you want to go next uh well i'm sure you've got this one but souths versus the roosters even in though they're both, yeah yeah well actually i think um 13 yep yeah, I think thirteen well. because I know the the roosters were probably better in um or the the rabbitos were definitely better in fourteen and the roosters were probably better than the rabbitos in thirteen. But I feel like that's the closest we've got to getting I, that. And I guess at least that, 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 that match up in the grand at final. least in fourteen you got the you got the prelim, which was the yeah. de facto grand final anyway. No disrespect to the bulldogs. Yeah, but what am well, I saying? Hang on, no full full, full disrespect to the bulldogs. Yeah, who? Are, um, sorry, you, sorry, you're losing sight of who. Apologies, you are. apologies, but yeah, I think you're right. Um, and we we got that question a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? And I, I think the Roosters probably win that grand final in 2013 if they play South. So for the best yeah. that didn't happen. But yes, I absolutely agree that it's a shame that when those two teams were, along with Manly, the three best teams in the comp, that they they never met in the grand final is, is a damn shame. I've got another one from a couple of years before that. If we go back to 2009, Nicholas. You might remember that all year, the Dragons and the Bulldogs were the two best teams. They had that amazing game that ended with that really controversial penalty at Cogra, yes. if you remember. Yes. I was working at Reason McDonald's that night. I started my shift after that game. Bulldogs fans destroyed the store. It was terrible. <laughs> but uh, both of them, that's the truth. I feel like there are an incredible amount of stories from your youth that end with, and then the Bulldogs fans fucked everything up. <laughs> yep. Uh, but that is, of course, the year where uh, the Dragons finished first, lost to eighth, and then, and then had to go up to Brisbane and got pumped in the second week of finals. And then the Bulldogs played that epic prelim against Parramatta with that massive 75,000 crowd and lost that too. So we ended up with neither first nor second making the grand final when they were probably they were definitely the two best teams that year. And instead, we ended up with fourth place Melbourne beating eighth place Parramatta in the grand final. If they were the two best teams, why didn't they make it? That's a great question. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I definitely take your point that the two best teams in the regular season crashing out is very unusual. But when I think of 09, Hayne is just so prominent. That's true. In, 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 in my memories, you know, and yeah, maybe, maybe the reason that is, is because they made it to the grand final and maybe mm. that's what differentiates it from a lot of those runs that other players had. But I just, I don't know. Those two things are just kind of inseparable to me. I got, I got one from the year before that and one from okay. the year after that. So the one from the year after that, um, so the Storm and the Seagulls played in the 07 and 08 grand finals. They both won one each. 2011 was supposed to be the decider. Only Melbourne buggered everything up and lost that prelim mm. to the Warriors. And the Warriors gave an okay count of themselves in the grand final. But the idea of getting the ultimate decider for that for that great, great rivalry would have been would have been really, really cool, I think. Um yeah. Storm Manly can, can be a tough sell because a lot of people don't like the Storm and a lot of people don't like Manly. But what people really like is two teams that hate each other, and they very much did. And it would have been their first meeting since the Battle of Brookvale a couple of weeks before. You could have, like, it would have been a real, real powder keg. Mm. Um, and then this one's this one's just for me. 2010, there is like a universe not too different from our own where the Raiders play the Roosters in the grand final. You did that a few years later. Didn't go well. No, it didn't. But this, this, this could have, this could have oh. gone different because so, if Terry Campisi doesn't do his knee against the Tigers, I think the Raiders win that game, right? Yep. And then they play the Dragons in the preliminary final at the at the very peak of the Raiders Dragons hoodoo. You know, the mm. Raiders had beaten the Dragons earlier that year and beaten them, beaten them pretty handily. So then it's the Raiders against Todd Carney and the Roosters in the grand final, and mm. the stakes would could not have been higher for me because if Canberra win, then it's the best day of my life. And if Todd Carney beats the Raiders in the grand final, it would be the worst day of my life. Like yep. by miles and miles and miles. Absolutely. So that would have been a cool one. Yeah. I, I got one more. Okay. Uh, 1999. A great story ends up with the storm, but that Sharks team was so sick. 
and they blew it in that prelim against the Dragons, if you remember. And it would have been, I think, amazing to have seen the Sharks play Parramatta that year in the grand final. They both lost in the prelim, and they were the two best teams for me in that season going into that. Um, and yeah, I think that would have been a sick game. David Peachy, all your favorites. Would have been great. Didn't happen. I've got one more from the 90s as well. Mm-hmm. 1996, Manly made the grand final um, in a bit of a stampede. Um, and North Sydney played St. George in the other prelim. Mm-hmm. And the Dragons ended up upsetting the Bears because the Bears always got upset in the prelims in the 90s. But if the Bears had made it and they're playing in their first grand final in 53 years and they're playing their their old rivals who they hate so fucking much, that would have been really cool. It's very rare that we get a local derby grand final. And when when we do, the build-up at least is always really special, even if the game's not. I, I think there's a chance that even if the Bears don't win that game, if they just make that game, I think there's a really good chance they're still here today. So, I um I think that's the first grand final, that 96 Manly Dragons. First game where I remember getting angry at a referee. It was just, <laughs> do, you remember Matt, do you remember Matt Ridge being held? And yeah, just I, him, well, I don't, I don't him, remember it, but I've seen it. And just I can just imagine you watching on the couch. Going, look, Dad, look, Dad, I'm refs folding. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a lot like that. Ridge was held. But uh, yeah, play on, they said. Shunter, what's the smallest venue you've seen an artist in that now does stadiums? Back in 2009, I saw Taylor Swift at the then Acer Arena. And also in 2009, Let's... I saw Katy Perry at the Enmore Theatre. Well, the Acer Arena is still a stadium. The Katy Perry one is cool, though. Yeah. Um, I've got a really good one for this. Uh, I saw Vampire Weekend at Oxford Art Factory in front of 150 people. And I yeah, got off that, is, like, that is a really good one. I got offered like 10 times the amount I paid for the ticket for it on the day by people. I was like, no, I'm going. So how, how, did, how did that happen? Did they like book the tour before an album came out? And then the yeah, album before the first album. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's really cool. We got tickets and it, and it ruled. Uh, honorable mention would be, I didn't go, but I used to be a master of getting... I feel like you can't do it anymore because of the virtual queue, the, the sorry, the virtual lobby or whatever they have on Ticket Tech. You can't do it anymore. But it used to be so much faster to open Ticket Tech on your phone rather than on your computer. And a lot of people didn't know that. So I was always really good at getting tickets to stuff in like the early 2010s. Um, and Coldplay, for some reason, did a one-off show at the Enmore in 2014. I have no mm-hmm. idea why they did that. The Enmore doesn't hold that many people. Um, the ticket sold out in like eight minutes. But I got two for Charlie and her friend because I was going overseas to the World Cup, but I got them for her because they're her favorite bit. So Coldplay in front of a thousand people at the Enmore. Those are two really, really good answers. Um, I don't really think I have one. Um, friend of the show, Neil Desmond, has a great one. He saw Luke Combs at the Enmore on That's Combs' cool. first on Combs' first tour out here. And now now he's playing um Kodos Bank Arena and that. Because I don't have one, I'm gonna call my shot a little bit. Uh, there's a, an Australian country singer named Brad Cox. I saw him at Manning Bar earlier this year, and I think he's going to be massive. I think right. he's going to be – I think country music's really, really on the up. It's a lot more mainstream now than it used to be, and I think he's going to be the next big Australian star in terms of country music. So in five years' time, Shunter, ask this question again, and I'll be mm-hmm. able to say Brad Cox at Manning Bar. Do you remember when um, bands used to do, like, unannounced shows at random pubs? Yes, like what Green, to that? Green Day played at like, real country. Green Day played at like the Captain Cook Hotel once, and I only found out about it like as it was happening. I was like, "Fuck, I would have gone." I, I've, I've for a long time I didn't really go to gigs, and I missed out on a couple that would have been really good for this one. Like some forty one and Real Big Fish separate, like separately played shows at Crowbar, which is a pub in. I love that Real Big really, Fish really is the only band that have played at Crowbar, whilst also a Real Big Fish cover band has played at Crowbar. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, I'm much more of a gig guy now. So hopefully mm. we'll get one in the future. I also went to school with Bungard. This year I've been dealt the stuck at a wedding on grand final day curse, uh, but I hold no malice towards the couple. They know nothing about sports and even thought they were being generous by booking on a day before a public holiday. Question, best strategy for avoiding grand final spoilers while at the wedding, despite the fact there will be several hundred people there and people will undoubtedly watch on their phones slash chat about it. I want to make it through the night and then have the full TV replay experience when I get home. Okay, so I have had to do this with finals games. But grand finals is a different story because there's honestly millions of people who only watch Origin in the grand final and don't watch yep. any other rugby league games, including other finals games. Yep. So how I handled that, this happened two years in a row. It happened last year at, I was up at a wedding in the Hunter. It was the night your boys beat the Storm and the Sharks lost the Cowboys. So I just turned on the great phone. Nights. On, great night. Great night. I watched both, watched them both on um I uh, watched them both the next day, but that was, that was fine because I put my phone on flight mode and no one really talked about it. Uh, same thing two weeks ago. Was trying to avoid the Knights Warriors score, but my mate Kyle, who was at the wedding, who's a Knights fan, I saw him look at his phone after the ceremony and go, fuck. And I knew at that point that the boys were in trouble. So that one didn't go as well. Um, my advice would be um, if you if there's anyone you know that's going, maybe tell them, hey, just you know, I'm trying to avoid grand final scores. And then just like, don't come up to me and talk to me about the footy. I found that is a method that works. Like you preemptively ask people, hey, just so you know, I'm not watching this thing live. Please don't spoil it for me. Don't message me about it. I've had people message me that the same thing, like when it's a Super Bowl or WrestleMania and, and yep. vice versa for myself. And people are pretty respectful about that most of the time. Um, and, but there's probably going to be people there that you don't know who are just like crowded around a phone watching. So you've either just got to join in with the phone crowd or just get as far away from them as possible. If you see a scrum of people around a phone at like... run. Night. What time's kickoff? Uh, eight o'clock. Yeah, if you see a scrum of people around a phone at like nine thirty, yeah, run. Just get yeah. there, or just spend the whole night on the dance floor. It'll be fine. I I would like you know the the old Seinfeld bit um where Jerry answers the phone by saying, "If you know what happened in the Mets game, please don't tell me. I taped mm-hmm. it." Hello. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just I you got to you got to adopt adopt that strategy. So whenever you meet someone, whenever you're talking to someone, start the conversation with. Don't tell me what happened in the grand final. I'm watching it when I, I get home. It's nice. Or to meet just you. do wear the wear the glasses that Ted Mosby wears in that How I Met Your Mother episode when he's trying to avoid the Super Bowl score because they need to watch it the next day. But then, how can you have fun at the wedding? Because that, I think that's what they're asking. Yeah, I don't think that either my suggestion or your one is a realistic one because why I would do. Be- I, I would honestly start every conversation with that. Don't tell me what happened in the grand final. I, you know what? Try it. Yeah, do it. Let All us right. know how you go. Good luck, Dave. And if it's someone I also went to school with, then God bless them. Cam Beswick, what do you think the crowd split will be like for the grand final? Who do you think will be more popular with the neutrals? As a Bronx fan, I've always felt we're the second most hated team in the comp behind Manly. The grand final got sold out yesterday, and I think Mm. a big part of that is Broncos fans. And I actually think the Broncos fans are going to outnumber the Penrith fans because it's a much big, this is a much bigger deal for for Brisbane. Like if you're a Panthers fan and you haven't seen them win a grand final at this point, like you're probably probably in the minority, you know, because it's happened so many times. So I think the Bronx are going to swarm Stadium Australia. I I I think they'll be, yeah, I think it'll be pretty close. Uh, again, it, it's it's hard to ever think that a team from interstate could match it with a team from here. But Brisbane do have a lot of fans that live in Sydney. That's one thing. Two is what you just mentioned. The, there's a not apathy, but there is a comfortability with Penrith and Grand Finals now that they honestly probably weren't in as much of a rush to buy tickets. And three, some of them are probably just waiting for freebies again. They've missed out. Well, there's yeah, well, there's none left now. Um. 
who do you think will be more popular with the neutrals? I think it's Brisbane. Brisbane, I think it's pretty clearly. Yeah. People so this, hate this thing this about this thing about Brisbane being the second most hated team in the comp. And I'm glad that Cam brought up Manly in his response. I feel like people hating Manly or doing the old, oh, anyone but Manly. That's a that's like, a that's a relic of the past. That's a relic. That's a bit of a relic of the past. And while not liking Brisbane is a lot more is a bit more modern, I also think that is on its way to becoming a relic of the past. Like this mm. Brisbane team, it once you get sort of out of the extremely online circles, is really, really popular. People love yeah. Reese Welsh. People love Pat Carrigan. Like we were telling stories last week about how Reese Walsh is like a teen idol at this point. Yeah. You know, so I understand. I, I I don't think I don't think Brisbane are quite as hated in the real world as 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 some of their fans might think. They also haven't been good for fifteen years. Well, that sorry, that a couple of good years with the, in a few years ago. But they haven't won a premiership in fifteen years. They're not. This is not. But in my opinion, anyway, I think that the Roosters are the most hated team. Not by me specifically, but by like the general public because they tick all the boxes of being good all the time, and people joke about their salary cap. And they're the Roosters. I think they're the most hated team of, of both Manly and the Roosters. And maybe, I don't think the Storm would be right up there as well. According to Phil Gould, the Bulldogs are still boycotting the Dally M's. Mm. Is Billy Walters an example of what a player can be to a club is the, if the club is honest about the player's skills? I feel being behind such a good pack means they don't need a top-class nine, but has also given him the time and space to figure it out more. Like finishing a video game on easy, then again in hard. Oh, I like that simile. I like that. I like that bit at the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah, I think he I think Walters is a is a is a really good example of of sort of maximizing your own ability and just land and and the and the benefits of a really good situation. And when I say that, I don't just mean the the caliber of the players around him. I think it's it's the entire program that they've set up up there. You know, Walters isn't the only guy who's really really improved this season after being a bit of a not a joke, but definitely not a, a consistent first grader in years past. You know, so and now I think Billy Walters has gone to to he's he's become quite beloved among the among the Broncos fans. I think you know there was people making fun of him last year because he's the coach's son and all that, but now they all love him. Now they're all into him. It's great stuff. Good on you, Bill. Get into him. Yep, he's there's a, a huge online campaign to get him the Clive Churchill medal before the game even kicks off as well. More so. and more people are saying it. Rob W44, could the Panthers beat the Wallabies right now in a game of union? Well, it'd be hard with 13 against 15, but I'm still saying yes. No, they can't. Just let me be a dickhead. They're two different sports, bungers. Yeah, I just want to make a joke about the 13 versus 15. Nick. Obviously, they wouldn't win, but they don't know. Probably half of them wouldn't know the rules, which would be yeah, an issue. A, yeah. But if you gave them a month to learn the rules, could they win? And if you gave Conor McGregor six months of boxing training, he could, he could beat Floyd Mayweather. Mm. I copped a lot of pelters for predicting that Conor McGregor would get uh, stopped in the late rounds in that fight. But look who was right, me. But uh, if Penrith got, you know what? If Penrith got a couple of months of training, I reckon they could no. do it. Come on, mate. No, the two different sports. I don't know. Sports. There are really good. There are really, really good league players who tried to go to Union and didn't didn't quite make it. Like yeah, Sam but- Burgess. Sam Burgess was the best was the best foot forward in rugby league in the whole, in the whole wide fucking world. And yeah. he went over to union and he was not good at it. Didn't know the rules. It's fine. Exactly. Yeah. And he played it for like two and a half years. Yeah. But then like the flip side of that is Brett Sheehan wasn't good enough to get into the worst rabbitist team that I've ever seen. And uh, he played for all of his after that. He so, sure did because yeah. they're two different sports. I don't know. Being good at one of them doesn't mm. preclude, doesn't guarantee you good at the other one. What if Penrith can get Matt Rogers and Lottie Takiri? Well, then obviously that's a win. Okay, good. That's the two extra players. That's done. Paul Max 78. Could a side of NRL players beat the Wallabies? No, dude. Come on. 
Um, they're, two di- they're, two different, they're two different sports. They're two different sports. Come on, guys. I mean, who's tackling Payne Haas, though? Well, who, but yeah, but he's, he, you got to remember front rowers in rugby aren't running the ball. They got to do all that scrummaging bullshit. Think how far Nathan Cleary could kick that chodish rugby union ball. He could kick it 90. <laughs> kicks it over the blue mountains. Legitimately. Think how far he could kick that thing. <laughs> Babadook. You compared the Panthers to a lot of historically dominant sites, but hypothetically, if the 2021 Panthers played the 2007 cap cheating storm, who would win? Mm. They were cheating, but they also appeared in four grand finals in a row. Hearing that team list in the Greatest Games podcast gave me PTSD flashbacks. That's a good point, Babadook. They were cheating. Um, this is a great question because... So we both agree that like it is dumb to compare eras. I'm going to spin off from his question a little bit to a question for you of my own. So we both agree that it's dumb to compare eras. Like, it's so stupid when people go, oh, no forward today could match it with Artie Bateson. It's like, yes, they could. So we agree that we agree that those are stupid. Where do you draw the line for being able to compare this stuff? Because to me, you is 07 to twenty twenty one, so like fourteen years, is that too far apart to compare them sincerely, or is that, or had sports science and all that stuff come far enough in 07 that we could do this honestly? Because I think we can. I, I think I think I draw the line. Um, somebody from two thousand and seven has to still be in the league in twenty twenty one for me to draw that line. Okay. You can you can you can compare them as being, if not the same era, then at least close enough mm. to truly compare. If someone was in both seasons, if someone played in both in both well, years, Cam had only just retired. Yeah. So, like by one year. So yeah. Um, um but- it's 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 funny. I, I because oh seven is a year I remember really really well. I don't think of it as being all that different to 2021. But when we watched that 2008 game for Greatest Games the other day, it was clear how different the the, the footy was. And it was clear how different all the players were, uh, but just in the way they're sort of like physically made up, you know. But if we if we can somehow remove all that and it's just who had on, the better team? On, on, on yeah. ability, on ability, who you got? I think I'm taking, I think Penrith had the better forward pack, but the Storm have the more game breakers. So... I think that the recipe for success against Penrith recently has been to just chance your arm a little bit and attack with a bit of flair and go at them wide. And I think that the Storm team that has Israel Folau and Greg Inglis with Billy Slater flying around on both sides of the ruck, I think that's a team that if any team could do it, they could do it. The flip side of that is I think Penrith's forward pack is just much better, even though even though that Storm team was so good. I, I think that's where Penrith would have a clear advantage. And I don't know if all those gun strike weapons that Melbourne would have would be able to make up the difference of like, honestly, 10 meters per set. So yeah. well, that, 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 that Panthers pack is, is a lot more athletic than that mm. storm pack. Certainly. Yeah. But gone. you've got to remember at some point in the game, Michael Crocker is just going to knock out Nathan Cleary. That's a really good, that's point. just, that's just going to yeah. happen. Dallas like, Johnson is going to neck crank someone's head off. <laughs> <laughs> so we did add to that. In. Adam Blair is going to remove Jerome Luai's ankle and take it home with him. That's a good point. We didn't factor all of that in. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, by death, it would be the it would be the 07 Storm. No, I'm giving it to the 21 Panthers, but very, very narrowly. But I think it would be an I think it would be an excellent game. Oh, so really, t- you know what? I will as well because I feel like Penrith's best players in 2021 are closer to their absolute peak as footballers than those storm guys were in 2007, you know, like, I feel like 
Smith and Slater and Cronk and Inglis were all, they were already great players in 07. I feel like they became greater players in the future. Um, so just because of that, I'm going Penrith as well, but in a really, really tight one. Yep. Okay. Before we get across the discord, Nicholas, we've got a draft this week. So we do. So we do, we do like a music based draft every week on, on, on the question show. Some like, People can nominate bands for it and stuff like it that. It started with bands. We've started branching out. Last week it was Simpsons songs. And this yep. week it's Bungard always wins, by the way. You've uh, can vote, you can vote on a winner on our Patreon and the people always show up for their boy. That's that is very nice of them. But this week, I'm pretty happy with this idea. We decided to do free match or halftime entertainment at any so any sporting event. So it's not limited to just rugby league grand finals. So I'm pumped for this. Okay. So I you, I lost the draft last week, which means I get to pick who goes first. I am picking myself to go first. I know who you're picking. And in the number one spot, I'm picking Billy Idol in 2002. Fuck! It's the best. It's it's you've won the draft. Congratulations. See, you could have contested this by saying, well, technically it wasn't a performance because he didn't sing any songs. No, he loves his footy though. He loves his footy and he's just waiting for some power. People look, obviously, there are there are better performances and more musically sound performances across the gamut of, um, you know, Super Bowls, NBA All-Star Games, World Series, other NRL, AFL, all that stuff. But nothing has ever been as memorable as this. So for our young, like, I'm sure everyone has seen this at some point uh, on like Boots and All or some other show, but like Billy Idol coming out, bleach blonde hair, leather jacket in a hovercraft screaming, I love my footy. And then the power just goes out. And it sucks. And it's the best thing ever. Just incredible stuff. Really iconic. Yep. Sometimes the best music is the one, is the note. Sometimes you have to listen to the notes that they're not playing. Yeah. So that was also my number one pick, but I thought you might take this number one. So that will be my number one pick. And that will be Prince at the 2007 Super Bowl. Can I say something and you're not allowed to get mad at me? You don't think it's that good? No, I just I'm just not a huge Prince guy. No, that's fine. I think that's yeah. perfectly fine. I'm not either, but this performance, I think, like it's singing Purple Rain while it's raining. Like, come on, shit's cool as shit. Um, I've watched this back a few times. It, it's a, it's just an awesome set. And then, I, I forgive forgive me, please, <laughs> but I'm gonna go with the Killers at the 2017 AFL Grand Final. That's the most despicable thing. I, I love I love the killers and they I do were, too and they were great much. and they were fantastic and I got and look if you're that guy that won the medal Jack Rewalt and then you got up on stage and sang Mr. Brightside with the killers after winning a grand final that's got to be the best moment anyone's ever had oh, oh do, do you talk about it when you're wearing your Guernsey and you're riding the tram to a laneway to get a $45 coffee that tastes like shit that you're going to take a photo of and put it on your little Instagram and say Melbourne memories and wear your scarves and and all sorts of stuff like that. Are you gonna, am I going to see you down in Brunswick or something like that, Bungard? Is that, what, is that what's going to happen here? Are you going to dispose of me on this podcast? Thinking about it. Good yeah. Lord. How embarrassing. I'm happy with it. It was fantastic. I, didn't, I don't remember who won the game, but yeah. Okay, I'm going to get us back on track, okay. and I'm going to pick Cole Chisel at the 2015 NRL Grand Final. A because fantastic this is, choice. Because this show is called NRL Boom Rookies, and I would like you to remember that, please. Yes, that's fine. So we laugh a lot about how the NRL just rolls out Jimmy Barnes all the time for the Grand Final. Um, and Barnes, he's good at the Grand Final. He is. like, And he's very rugby league and all that sort of deal. But I liked this because it wasn't just Barnes, it was Chisel. So it means that you get Bow River, which is the best Cole Chisel song. Um, and yeah, it's just a bit more well-rounded than the usual act of wheeling out Barnsey for the 
for the grand final. Yep. And then for my next one, here's, an, here's one here's one that you forgot about. Here's one that you will kick yourself okay. for not having. All right. 2005, mm. the Veronicas, Pete Murray, and Body Jar at the oh, NRL grand final. I was there. It's, it was fantastic. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. That's my one. I think that's a really underrated one. The, so the only reason I didn't have that is because, and I don't know why this happened. So the week prior to that, I, I went to all the Tigers finals games in 05 with a couple of mates who who are Tigers fans. Got swept up in Tigers fever, etc. Who didn't? Who didn't? But, so we're in the northern end at the old SFS. So the end where they've got that carpet underneath the scoreboard where you can stand. Like, we used to, I used to stand there at A-League games. And um, it's like half an hour till kickoff in this game. We, the stadium's packed. The atmosphere to this day is still one of, if not the best I've ever experienced at an NRL game. And suddenly they're just like, and please welcome Body Jar. And they're not on the field. They're on the carpet. Like, Five meters oh, behind that's me. Mad. Yeah, they just sang not the same and one in a million a couple of the songs. And it was fucking sick. So I saw them two weeks in a row. Great. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. My number three is Macklemore at the 2017 NRL Grand Final. That um, was that that was on my shortlist. And yes. neither of us are big Macklemore fans. But do you want to explain why? Yeah. So this 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 stood for a lot more than just Macklemore, right? This was if people weren't big rugby league fans, was it six years ago? It is. I can't overstate how culturally relevant this performance became in the days leading up to it because Macklemore has a song called Same Love. I've only heard it like once or twice. It's just about, you know, we all love people. It doesn't matter if you're gay, I think is the overarching message. Is that am I right about that? I think I don't know. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a Macklemore scholar, but that was the impression I okay. got from the song. So and he said he was going to sing this song and of course the worst people in our country were up in arms about it. Peter Dutton went full Marge Simpson and asked if another song could be sang for the other side of the debate, which again, don't know what debate they're having. Um, and then there was uh, some guy who was like ex NRL star starts petition to get rid of Macklemore. And it was honestly some guy that played three games for the Western suburbs magpies in 1995. Like I'm not even kidding. And then he comes out and performs and it was excellent. It was really, really good. Um, he sounded great. The performance was great. And you know, no one got hurt. No one got indoctrinated by a big homosexual and everyone yeah. had a great time. It felt, yeah, it felt, it was, it was genuinely moving to, to, to see and it was i think a really proud moment for the for the sport to to sort of you know uh take a take a take a stand like that and then he did his other songs he did thrift shop and some of the other ones and again it's not really for me but it was fun the mm-hmm. music was fun and that's what i i think grand final entertainment is meant to be fun like amy shark played there in 2020 and i love amy shark like i'm i'm, I'm in love with amy shark she's the mm-hmm. best i love her music it's not what I would listen to to get pumped up for a grand final, though. No, nope, you know. Totally so, fair. there you go. Not a bad pick, old Macklemore. Thank you. Number four for me is Motorhead performing the game live at WrestleMania 21. Oh, that's a great one. I didn't even think about WrestleManias, but that's a beauty. Yeah, fucking Triple H coming out, spitting the water, comes out of the floor while Motorhead are ripping it up. Fantastic. There's been a lot of good WWE live entries, like Snoop Dogg coming out with Sasha Banks is really cool. Um, there's um, that guitarist that Shinsuke Nakamura had a couple of years ago was amazing. But yeah, this to me is the iconic one. That is one of the great wrestling songs. And to get Motorhead live, just tearing it up. And Triple H genuinely loves Motorhead as well, which is why it was so cool. So, he is the game and he wants to play. That's right. All right. You're up again. Yeah. Last um, two. I can't just keep going for stuff in Australia. Mm. So I've got to go overseas a little bit. Um, and the two overseas ones, the seasons that I've always really responded to, 
I won't take this one. Feel free. You can if you want. But when Sinead O'Connor sang um, The Foggy Dew for Conor McGregor's out at so UFC good. 189. I didn't, even, I didn't even think of that. That was awesome. It was. Um, but I'm not going that one. I'm going the halftime show at the LA Super Bowl with Dr. Dre, Eminem, Snoop, 50 Cent, and Kendrick Lamar. I should have taken it before I took Triple H. Apart from Kendrick Lamar, all those blokes are a little bit old and washed up and probably past their best, but they still got it. They still got it. It man. was awesome. Yeah, they was still fantastic. got it. And my f- absolute favorite moment is when they cut to the 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 thingo or the the setup that they had, and Fiddy Cent drops out of nowhere upside down like he was in the Inter Club video. And I don't know if fiddy has got an upside down crunch in him these days, but it it tickled it tickled my nostalgia bone. So I'm going the, the LA Super Bowl half. I think show. I think that pick just won you the draft. That was my last pick too. Well done. And you got one more. Um, for see, I could just double up and go the Conor McGregor one though, but I won't do that. And I could go Grinspoon and Chris Isaac playing at the 2004 NRL Grand Final, hmm. but I won't do that. And I could go the big screen falling apart at the <laughs> 1996 Grand Final, but I've already got a Grand Final snafu, so I won't do that. So I am going to have to pander to the crowd and go Tina Turner in 1993. Nice. Very good. Because pick. like I simply the best has sort of been, I think it's kind of been a little bit done to death. It's a little bit of a cliche at this point, but it really was a, a campaign that helped change the sport in this country and getting her singing it at the grand final. And then with all the Broncos afterwards and all of that, that's, that's, just, that's just really cool. Really sort of takes me to, mm. Really reminds me of a very specific time in the game's history and a very fun one at that. Yeah. So. so my final pick is Shannon Knowles singing Friday Night Footy. <laughs> State of Orange. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Shannon. Shannon. It's Wednesday. No, it's Wednesday, Shannon. <laughs> um uh I've gone with you two at the two thousand and two Super Bowl. It's a fantastic set. We love you two. We spent a lot of time talking about you two. Was it last week or week before? When people we did didn't draft? like it. We did a U2 draft last week and people didn't like it. People a lot of people, you two are one of those bands. They're amazing, but people, they're, they're kind of one of those bands that it's cool to just say it, say a shit, but they're not. And they were great at the Super Bowl too. I was looking through the list of old Super Bowl shows as well, by the way. Do you remember when Nelly wore a half New York Giants, half Baltimore Ravens jersey at the halftime show? Because those teams were playing in the Super Considering Bowl. Considering St. Louis had a team at the time, that's pretty unforgivable, man. Mm. Well, it was it was Giants versus Ravens, but still, very still, weird. Still, bro, come on. Did, St. Louis had won like the year before? Yeah. Where are Rams jersey? Oh, we, we didn't oh, even mention good, good Shard at the 2012 Grand Final when it was Bulldog Storm and one of them wore a South jersey. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> um, Yeah, we did it. I'm happy with that. You got any others that were honorable mentions? No, no. I kind of did my honorable mentions in the mm. lead up to that last pick. Yes. What was the worst one that you can remember? Probably, oh, so probably when they had Slash and Train at the grand final in like 2009. So it was Train, they're, they're bland, they're inoffensive, they're fine, I guess. But then Slash was just out there sort of like noodling around a little bit. Yeah. Like, here's the riff from Sweet Child of Mine. It's like, well, if Axel's not here, then it's not really. Yeah. And uh, I was obviously there. So yeah, not great. Uh, my, my contender for the worst ever was when Fergie sang the national anthem at that NBA All-Star game. And the players were openly laughing because it was so bad. Good stuff. Yeah. Time to time. I'm glad she got knocked down a couple of picks. Yeah. Over to the Discord. Drizzle. Should the bunker be able to rule on forward passes, they can use vision to rule on an offside player. It's the same concept for forward passes. It's not really because the question is like the, the path the travel the ball travels through in the air. They used to be able to um rule on forward passes in rugby games, and they really, really weren't good at it. That might just be because rugby's not good at anything, but 
I don't know. Like all this talk about the bunker being able to rule and forward passes. Do you have the confidence in the bunker to get it right? Because I don't really. No, no, I don't. But also I think that maybe we should just have a rule where if it's so blatant like the Walsh one, they can just break the rules and be like, yeah, boys forward, mm. <laughs> take it back. Maybe my in goal judges, they can fix this. Oh my God, no. Bring them back. Bring if there's back. one thing we need, it's more useless pricks <laughs> with flags standing on the sides of the field. Bro, there is nothing better than going to like a local footy grand final and screaming, the in goal judge was right there. Yeah. It's the best. Useless. Absolutely useless. From Michael Campo, in greatest games, you spoke about the quality and the production of the 2008 broadcast that was much better than now. Can you expand on that? Why was it better 15 years ago? And what do you, what do you think broadcasters could do better? Okay. So I'm not an expert in this by any means. It's just based on conversations I've had with people who do work in TV and have a great, a much better understanding of how all this stuff happens. But to me, it boils down to, they used to have a lot more cameras shooting footy games than they do now. And if you have more cameras, you have more choice for shots. If you have more choices for shots, the product can seem a lot more dynamic. Like, I know no one would want to sit down and watch a two-hour game from 1999, but if you do do that, you'll see that the way Channel 9 used to shoot games in the late 90s is just vastly superior to the way they do it now. There's way more cameras. They can zoom in on way more things. They're just much more creatively directed. Um, I think what kind of changed is once all the games started being televised, especially on Fox Sports, Fox Sports sort of nailed uh, using, I think it's five five cameras, maybe five or six cameras, there's one in each corner. There's one on the halfway line. And then I think there's one more that's halfway between the halfway line and one of the try lines. And it just doesn't look as good because the product's just not as dynamic. Like compare it to watching uh, uh, a game on a live stream, like a country footy game on a live stream where there's one camera, you know, and then compare that to the Fox broadcast. And then the next level of that is the old nine broadcast with a, with a lot more cameras. And it just doesn't really happen that much anymore because it's just a lot more expensive, you know? And there's just not the money sort of put into the broadcast side of the game that there used to be. You know, mm. think about how Fox League don't really, a lot of the time they don't send their commentators to games anymore. A lot of the time they call them from a bunker in Redfern. You know, mm. sometimes they do that for games that are in Sydney. You know, so it, it basically boils down to having more bodies at the game, whether that's operating cameras or whether that's commentating or whatever. You know, so that's the that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing that I'm getting at. Like Fox were piping in crowd sound for that it's, it's, for yeah. that Broncos prelim on on Saturday. Like that's that's ridiculous shit. Like what are you doing? Like mm. so that that's that's probably the biggest thing. It's just there's not as much money put into the production of matches anymore, and that shows it up in a in the uncreative ways that games are shot and the remote way that they're commentated sometimes. Absolutely, Mario Siegs. Should Belinda Sharp slash Casey Badger get the NRLW gig? Or should, in theory, the second best ref, Jared Sutton, be running that game? Uh, that's a great question. I'd never really thought about it. What do you think? Um, I like. I think the NRL likes the visual of 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 a woman officiating the NRLW Grand Final. Um, I think you know there is a, there is a case to be made that you should just get the best referee, no matter who it, who it is. But mm. if you just do, if you just picked the best referee every time, then no young referee would ever get a chance. It's true. You know? And I think um, Belinda Sharp and Casey Badger have been refereeing the NRLW for much of the season. I do think it would be a different game to referee than a NRL match because we are talking about different rules here. Um, we are talking about a different pace of the game. So I think give it to the best NRLW ref of the year. Give it to the person who's been the best referee in that competition, not just the best referee or the be- whoever's been the best referee in the NRL. Because again, it's two different competitions. Reward who's been good through the year in that comp, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well said. Chief Cornflake Pisser in her. It's really good to be able to say that um, without the shield of the Patreon paywall. Great stuff. Mm. To what do you attribute the massive cultural problems now plaguing the formerly proud and successful Sydney Roosters? Uh, I think maybe a change of scenery would do them well. What's he referring to here? He's a Knights fan and he's relishing in them losing the NRLW other prelim. Ah, of course. Of mm. course. Right. Ben Wallace, given the Broncos have gone from wooden spoon to grand final in three years, why do Gus Gould and Nathan Brown keep getting employed? A fair question. Weak Gus. Did the Broncos need to lose a season to win one? How tall should Seabold's <laughs> statue be? Yes. And uh, 20 feet. What if, what if they just like halved his head into the side of Suncorp Stadium? That's also fine. And then every... Every like 30 seconds it bellows out, I went to Harvard and spits fire. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Sparkles Farnworth. How about them Broncos? How about them? Judging from the, oh no, he sent that on the weekend. I was going to say, judging from the timestamp, he might've sent that at halftime of the, of the prelim final, which would be, which would be a real, how about them Broncos moment. But uh, there's more Broncos chat to come this week. And there's already been a lot already. So very good stuff. Six again. Why do we invest so much emotional energy in something that causes pain? Because you got to have the the lows to get the highs, mate. Like again, don't 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 um don't get as miserable about the lows as you do relish the highs. But you've still got to have them because without without suffering, there can be no success. Can't have a rainbow without a little rain. Mm-hmm. Kit, will league benefit from the decline of union over the years, plus recent failures and the current shambles? Will we get more young people playing league? I don't know. Uh, does Union have much of a footprint in like most of the league, like Heartland areas, anyway? Not really. That's one of their big one of yeah. their big problems. Um, I think U- Union, at a senior level, is actually really healthy in the grassroots, purely because it's it's much easier to play than league once you sort of get old and get out of shape and all that sort of thing. Like the reason I play Union now and not league is because I'm not fit enough to play league. Mm. You know, you've got to be really fit just to play. Even if it's just park footy, you've got to be pretty fit to play league. You don't have to do that for unions. So I think league has already really, really benefited, you know? Yeah. And if you look at some of the guys who were very highly touted rugby junior rugby union players, nearly all of them have ended up coming to league in the end, you know, mm-hmm. at some point or another. So I think league's already benefited pretty pretty much. M, M's got a shitload of questions. Yeah. 1A, what's your walkout song? Uh, mine is... Either Roses for the Dead by Funeral for a Friend, or it would be um, the theme song from the show Arthur, if I wanted to go comedic. <laughs> that Arthur one's good. I don't know the other one, I'm afraid. Mine would be Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. Great song. 1B, what's your pump-up song? Um, Probably The Downfall of a Saw by Data Remember. Don't know that one either. Mine's Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, I knew that was your answer. Always gets me going. Yeah. 1C, if you could only listen to one album for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, either Clarity by Jimmy Eat World, um, Tell All Your Friends by Taking Back Sunday, or oh, which Paramore album? Uh, After Laughter by you wanna, Paramore. Do you want to say why? Well, Clarity by Jimmy Eat World is... I think probably my favorite album ever from start to finish. This is a band that I love so much that it was so much more than just that one song that everybody knows. That song's not not even on this album, by the way. Um, 
Taking Back Sunday were, have been one of my favorite bands for like 15 years. Cue that the E is, in my opinion, the best song ever. Well, my favorite song ever. Uh, and that's that's the third track on that album, which is banger after banger from start to finish. Just half an hour of pure emo rock music. It's fantastic. And then Paramore, honestly, you could pick any of their six albums. They're all fantastic from start to finish. None of them have any skips in them. I went after Laugh just because it's a little bit of a different vibe. It's more sort of, um, it's a different sort of sound to the other two more rock rock bands that I've chosen earlier than their than Paramore's earlier albums are. Like Paramore's earlier albums are a lot more guitar heavy, more traditionally pop punk, whereas After Laughter is a lot more synth and a lot more like sort of out there. And it's still fantastic. It's just a little bit different sound. So I think comparing it with those two, I'd say that. So one of those three. I'm going Trouble Will Find Me by The National. They come out in like 2013. Um, I think I've mentioned that The National are probably my favorite band a couple of times before. Um, they're not for everyone. It is a little bit like sad boy stuff, but, you know, I'm a sad boy sometimes, you know. Mm. And I think Trouble Will Find Me has a great mix of sort of um, really emotional, like really emotional songs, but that have a lot of depth and a lot of a lot of um, variety to them. You know, you can feel a lot of different things as you're listening to that album and that versatility. And replayability is why it's the. If I could oh. only have one album forever, that would be it. I'll g- I'll give it a listen later. I don't I don't think it's your I don't think it's your kind your kind of thing, man. Too too melancholic. A little bit, yeah. Okay. You're you 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 like your sad music to like have a bit of like get some energy, fucking yeah, fire, yeah. fire up. Fuck yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Mm. M and she's got another one. Are there teams with the same mascots across sports that have the same vibes slash energy? What do you mean across sports? Like any sport, I, I I think she's these she's taught. Well, this is the second week in a row that we've had a blue about M's question, but mm. I think she means teams in different sports with the same mascots that have the same energy. Oh, okay. so like if the Detroit Tigers and the West Tigers have the same energy. Well, I've seen the West Tiger do the guffo at Magic Round. Has the Detroit Tiger done that? Uh not that I know of. Okay, uh, Benny the Bull is. Arguably the greatest mascot of all time, Chicago Bulls mascot. Do the Queensland Bulls have a mascot? Oh, you're you're talking about like the actual mascot. Yeah, I thought you were just talking about like. I, I, I'm not talking about like you know Victor the Viking and bloody. Oh, well, what are we, ta- have what are we talking about? Then? I was more thinking about like just the actual. Oh, the actual, like, okay. Emblem. Like so, the well, Oakland yeah. Raiders and the Canberra Raiders. Well, yeah, they were... the Oakland Raiders twice. They don't play in Oakland. I mean, either. that's. I mean, yeah, they were both like good ages ago and now kind of shit um the tigers the west tigers detroit tigers another good one like just a joke of a franchise so those are good answers um well, there's no rabbit there's no rooster i'm trying to think um well, this... <laughs> the brooklyn the brooklyn rabbitos yeah uh <laughs> well the, the, there's lots of tigers there's like well the bulldogs are nowhere like the georgia bulldogs win things so it's not they're not like the can oh, i didn't even think about college footy. yeah that's don't man that's too many there's too many but, um yeah i don't know I don't know. I got nothing great for this one. Sorry. Yeah, I I, I kind of struggled to to get anything going with this one as well. And I was looking up the some of the teams in America. There's not actually that much crossover between American mascots and Australian mascots. And the ones that are like you wouldn't say that the Denver Broncos and the Brisbane Broncos have the same same vibe slash energy, would you? No, not really. Six again. Do we even need the writer's strike to end when the Wallabies are providing the best comedy of the year? Do you know what I did yesterday afternoon, Nick? What'd you do? I, I went back and watched that airport press conference from Eddie Jones when he's just like, nah, we're shit. We're terrible. And it's like, you know what? He was <laughs> you know right. What, Eddie? <laughs> you just might be. Oh my God. What yeah, a mess. What they a are disaster. very bad. So that story that like 
he's like was literally like getting courted by the Japanese rugby to be their new coach. Like I, I, I did, I did see that. I Unbelievable. See that. I just, yeah. What a quite. shit show. Not great. Michael Darren 79. There are two shows for your favorite band. Show A is a modern day standard crowd on the floor. You'll have phones in front of the majority of the performances. Show B on the floor is a strict no phones policy. It will be reminiscent of a pre-smartphone performance. The trade-off, the no phones show set list is fewer four songs, four fewer songs there, Mike. What do you choose? At what point in the fewer song set would you choose option A? P.S. I probably misused fewer, but I know Bungard will fire up. I'm a former less than guy. Mm, it's all right. You're getting there. Um, uh, I very clearly, very strongly choosing show B. Really? Get the phones out of your fucking hands and watch the show. Why, does that, why does that impact how it- you enjoy the show, though? Well, A, it does because people in front of you are standing there with their phone up in the air in front of you. So, A, it blocks your view. And B, it's just, but it does my head in. You are never going to watch this footage again. Like, you can go on YouTube and find, like, actually professionally shot footage of live concerts of these bands. And they sound great. You are never going to go back and watch this 45 seconds of someone singing a song that you recorded. Why are you doing this? I watched someone, I saw someone show that. They literally posted, like, every single song on their Instagram for like their 12 followers to see. It's like, why are you doing this? Why did you come here to just be buried in your phone for an hour and a half? Put your phone in your pocket and just get in the moment and enjoy the show. I, I don't begrudge people taking one photo, maybe one little video of like 15 seconds during their favorite song or something. But these people that are on their phones for the entire time, it does my fucking head in. I hate it. I find it disrespectful to the musicians and I just cannot stand it. It feels like they're more there to like be like, oh, look at me. I'm at a concert than to be enjoying it in the first place. And I'm shocked you're not there with me as a as a, as an ardent hater of technology. Well, I was going to go show A because if they've all got their phones out, that's their problem. It's not my problem. I'm watching the show. Mm-hmm. But you fired me up. I'm show. I'm, 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 I'm team B. I'm going to show B. Good. Let's throw our phones in the ocean, bro. We don't need them. Like, I understand. Like, obviously, we use our phones every day, right? But it gets to a certain point where, you know, you still need to be able to function without a telephone. You still need to be able to hold conversations with people in public. And you still need to be able to enjoy events that you go to without constantly tapping away and being buried in your your own crotch. Like, you you don't need to be doing that all day, every day. And concerts to me is the big one. It's just so sad to me when I see these photos of, like, a Drake show, for example, and literally every single person in the crowd has their phone out and they're looking through their phone or they're worried about their phone angles. It's like, man, you're seeing one of the world's most popular artists right now. You're like near the front of the mosh and you're not even enjoying the moment because you're worried about how your fucking followers on Instagram are going to see it or not. I don't know. I don't like it. The internet was a mistake. Yeah. Uh, the, second, the, sec- the second part of the question is a good question though. At, At what, what point in fewer songs? Yeah, so like option A. Well, what would you say is an average set list for a band? Like sixteen songs? Yep. Okay, so I would choose option A if option B was eight songs. Eight's not a lot of songs. It'd really depend on the band. I know that's, that's a cop out answer. No, no. Like... I reckon ten is my threshold. I think if show B is ten songs, I'm still picking B. But if we're down to single digits, I'm gonna have to go with the phone phone Good call. Uses. Good call. Horsebra scores, bro. What's your top three favorite dinosaurs? Were you a dinosaur boy? A little bit. I was a I was a space boy. Uh love yeah. space. I was love yeah. space. And dinosaurs in space are kind of like it's like Elvis and the Beatles. You know, you can love them both, but you always love one more than the other. You're always more of a space yeah, guy. Yeah. So, um, my answers were Yoshi, uh, 
Rex from Toy Story and Dino from the Flintstones. I is is I thought Yoshi was a turtle. He's a dinosaur. Doesn't he have a shell on his back? He's a dinosaur. But doesn't he have a shell on his back? It's a saddle. It's a saddle. Yeah, it's how Mario rides him. He's a beast of burden. Yeah. Um so I took this a bit more literally. Yeah, um, I, I, I went with the stupid answer, but No, yeah. that's that's probably the better answer. Oh, thank you. Because I'm going T-Rex, Great obviously. Answer. That's you gotta have the T-Rex. Mm-hmm. I'm going um Diplodocus. I saw a I yep, saw a, a, a I saw a skeleton of that at a museum in Chicago. And I was just kind of struck by how long it was. It's the I'm pretty sure it's like the longest dinosaur. I and then I, last one's either got to be it's another one of the classics, either mm-hmm. a Stegosaurus or a Triceratops. Triceratops, yep. I'm probably going Triceratops just because the skulls are so impressive. You know, they got the that's big fair. bony. So you know, I'll yeah, tell that's you, that's my top three. In like year two or year three, we had to do a project on a dinosaur, and I drew a Diplodocus on one of those big pieces of cardboard, like the big fucking. You know, I used to do like projects on a big bit of cardboard. Yeah, I had to, I had to draw a Diplodocus because. Do you think the fat cats down at big cardboard have, have lost oh, out? They're, they're due doing to the tough. digitization of. Of, this, of the learning they're, process. They're doing it tough. Going but on that point and going back to my previous thing about the phone, I had a mate I caught up with the other week at a gig, ironically enough, where we were not on our phones. But he was he's a teacher and he's telling me that like the week before, a kid had shown him he'd asked this kid that was always on his phone, like, what's your screen time? And the kid and he the kid showed him his screen time on his phone. This kid over this was a seven day average. So not one day, an average across seven days. This kid was averaging fourteen hours and forty minutes of screen time a day. That's a lot. What, like, it broke my brain. I was like, that's like you wake up, you're on your phone until you go to bed, and that's it, and you're on your phone the whole time. The internet was a mistake. It was. Dan, I'm going to preface this one by saying I don't know much about the rules of rugby union. Mm. How is it that Australia can be so dominant in rugby league and so poor at rugby union? How is there such a difference in talent and performance amongst two codes that are at least a little bit similar? Hmm. Oh, it's, 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 I said it earlier in the show, but it's, 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 it comes down to grassroots. It comes down to pathways and it comes down to, to coaching. Part of the reason that, that rugby union isn't, or part of the reason that the Wallabies aren't as good as they should be is because the sport in this country is not as healthy as it should be. And part of the reason that the sport in this country is not as healthy as it should be is because they have the players, but they just don't develop them. They don't turn them from good schoolboy players into good, yeah. senior players they are just not adept at that you know every like it's i i think i said on the show the other day i think it's really telling that will skelton a player of great uh potential when he was in australia had to go over to france and england to become the best version of himself as a player you know um and there's there's a, there's a lot of other examples like that at the junior level rugby union has the players that's despite totally neglecting places like the Western suburbs of Sydney and country, New South Wales and Queensland and all these places that league gets its players from rugby union neglects all those areas, but they still have the players when it, when it, when it comes to young fellas, you know, but it's just making those fellas transition from playing against boys to playing against men. That's where rugby unions lost its way. And it's been that way for nearly 20 years now. And now they are reaping the rewards and the rewards is the worst performance in Wallabies world cup history. Indeed. Ben Wallace, if not going to the game live, what's the optimum way to watch a grand final? Uh, at a friend's house, barbecue, etc. Yep. Yeah. With a with and like a lot of people there. Yeah, you a lot got of a people have like double, a genuine a genuine grand final party. Yeah. Wheat Gus, is Sydney a bad sports city? Great question. So, yes, is the answer. I think yes but, as well. Yeah, but 
the the new Moor Park precinct is is saving it a little bit, I think. Like, but still, yes. Yeah, I think so. I Sydney people just don't show up to that much stuff, man. They don't, you know. And like, I know we 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 don't like Melbourne and we rail against it a lot and AFL and we don't like it and all that sort of thing. But at least they show up to stuff. They show up, man. They all the time, up. all the time. You know, like. I think it's really telling that for years, I know they were playing at the SCG or whatever, but the Roosters were the best team in the competition by miles and miles and miles, and no one was coming to their games. Mm. You know, and it was even the same when they were in the the old footy stadium before that. It's like you've got this great team with a, a wonderful winning culture playing in a, you know, for the most part, playing in really good stadiums, and just no one came. And it's like, what are we doing, guys? What could be better than this? Why don't you want to be here? Yeah. You know, so, and I think when, I know it's different with one team towns or whatever, but I think when you compare the, the, the culture among, among fans in Sydney to places like, uh, you know, Queensland or even New Zealand or even or Melbourne and stuff like that, I do think we fall a little bit behind. And part of that might be because tribalism is so built into, into the Sydney sporting scene, not just with, with Lee, but with a lot of other sports as well, but. I don't know, man. Just more people. More people should go to stuff. The strangest thing is that the Swans get great crowds. One team town. Yeah, pretty much. You know? Okay, but then why is it? Is it a rugby league thing? Because the Storm don't get great crowds in a team in a city where people show up in their tens of thousands to AFL. I think comparatively to to compared to other league teams, the Storm get pretty good crowds. Oh, they get okay crowds, but like again, for a team that's been the best team in the world for like their entire existence, they should be getting more than. They should be comfortably beating the West Tigers' home gates, and they don't. So, I don't know. I think they do. Comfort- oh, man, I just picked a team at random. I'm tired. <laughs> God, who- I'm not going to look this up. They don't get they, they don't get great cats. Sydney, Sydney, was- Sydney is not as good a sports city as it should be. No, I agree with that. Ben Wallace, can you think of a better opening kickoff to the grand final than the Panthers kicking to Payne Haas and Liam Martin going after him? Yes. Brisbane catching the kickoff and doing the South's 2012 early shift and scoring off the kicker own own setter <laughs> i was going to say i want the panthers to kick to Payne haas and moses leota to go after him mm. i don't know i don't know i don't know i know liam martin's got the will i don't know if he's got the beef he'll try though he'll try he'll try anti-skinny mugachino guy bungard what advice would you give to someone losing their hair shave or keep um book in a trip to istanbul mate yeah <laughs> I don't, I don't get that. Oh, you don't get that? Oh, so uh, apparently hair transplants are way cheaper in Turkey than like everywhere else. So like dudes in Europe will go to Turkey to get hair transplants. So you'll see pl- flights home from Istanbul to like London and shit. And it'll just be a bunch of dudes with like bleeding scalps and shit. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. There's the thing. Yeah. There you go. That's the last question. That's it, brother. Wow. What a great note to end on. Fuck you. Whoever asked <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh dear, fantastic. Uh all right, before we get out of here, quick thank you to the people in the top two tiers on our Patreon subscription service. If you would like to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash NRL Boom Rookies. You get access to our Discord server. You can ask your own questions on future episodes and you'll get this question time episode every single week. This was a once off for the grand final, so this will be back behind the paywall uh next week. Thank you to Chris Avnell, Dave, Rocky and Rafi, Stu, Wayno the Old Coot. According to Phil Gould, the Bulldogs are still boycotting the Alliums. Alex Sergicomi, Ben Abu Ben Booby, Master of Chaos. Coast legend Adam Reynolds. I have to yell. Bruce the Palm, Butsy, Chivak Snuffleupagus, Dan Cullinane, do it for Stacey Jones, Doc Hogg, Anonymous Backer, Ed Burton, future Clive Churchill medalist, Billy Walters. Grizzly Adams did have a beard. I also went to school with Bungard. 
I, Matt Bungard, could not be happier for Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. I've got a blank space in my fantasy team and I'll write your name. Jason, Joe, Joel Wrigley, John, Josh Brandon, kicks ass out of the comp, Lachlan Hancock, Ladrick, lifelong Dolphins fan, Luke Charles Smoothwell, Mads, Taylor's version, Man, Hastot, or Drink Water, Matthew Duggan, Michael, boom, 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 let me say, wayo, wayo, Murray, Mr. Beefy, Morgan Watkins, my ding, ding, dong is hard, I'm sad, never trendy, Pat McManus, Pete Fulcher, Reese Brown, Roxanne Clark, Scores wants Stuart Sack, see you in Vegas, Shanta Ty, thank you too, Chris Abnell, Dave, Rocky and Rafi Stew, The Black Vegetable, the outro music is a vibe on 1.75 times speed, Thor, Tom Hardy, was and Westlife Podcast, and the Pasco fiasco. Thank you so much for your support. To everyone in the lower tiers and to everyone who just listens, thank you as well. Very good. Very good. We're one day closer to grand final day, the best day of the entire year. I'm very excited. But that also means we're one day closer to there being no more footy. Oh, I'm not as excited about that. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't, don't like that. All right, friends, we'll be back tomorrow talking all things Broncos. So Hell stay yeah. tuned for that. Say goodbye, Campo. Goodbye, Bertrand. And it's goodbye from me. <laughs>